you've got your handout with you this morning, I'd encourage you to take out the insert that um, we'll be using today for teaching. It uh, says flourishing or flourish at the top because we've been focusing our attention on 1 Thessalonians and the main idea is that we would flourish and thrive and grow in our Christian lives and Christian walks. And we're at a section in this book where the Apostle Paul just kind of throws open the floodgate and says, here's the instructions for how it works. He's, he's done a lot to teach us about the second coming of Christ. He's done a lot to teach us lots of things. And now we're in a section where boom, 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 boom. He's just sharing with us how to live in flourishing ways, how to enjoy all that God has in store for us. Kind of like that verse says, like that song we just sang. He's chasing after us with his goodness, and he wants to show us how good he has brought us in this life. So we're talking now, today, how does it apply to leadership? How does it apply to the home, the church, especially the congregation? So today we're going to specifically talk about leadership from two aspects. One, what kind of leadership causes a congregation to thrive and to flourish? And secondly, what kind of followership causes a congregation to thrive and to, to, to flourish? In this passage, it's really only two verses. It's a preacher's dream, not having too much material, but being able to just dig in and tear it apart. And so we're going to look at those two things. We're going to look at what do leaders do to cause the congregation to flourish and to thrive? Now, you might be thinking, well, this is for pastors. This is for elders. Yes, not only. All of these principles apply to everyone at whatever level of leadership you're providing. It can be for you and your family. It can be for you and the women's ministry or you and the youth group or you and wherever you are implementing leadership these principles apply. And everyone, at some place or another, is a follower. Every leader, in fact, you can be, the best leader you can be is by being the best follower you can be. So we'll dive into this and talk about that. How do you behave in the household of God? How do you behave in the household of God that brings out the best, brings out the best of God among us? God with us. Let me read for us today uh, 1 Thessalonians 5, 12, and 13. Move this forward here. Here we go. We ask you, brothers, and this is the generic, all-inclusive brothers. We would say brothers and sisters, or you all, or hey, you guys. <laughs> we ask you to respect those who labor among you and are over you in the Lord, and who admonish you, and to esteem them very highly in love because of their work. Be at peace among yourselves. Let's bow in prayer. Father, thank you for this verse of Scripture, the encouragement that comes from it. Would you unfold it to us today as we think about your gift to us of leadership? In Jesus' name, amen. So what do leaders do and how do congregations thrive when leaders do what God's calling them to do? Let's pull a couple things out of 
this, uh, this verse and think about them together. Let's take first of all this word here, who labor. In fact, jot this down. It's laboring. Laboring. Jot this down. Number one, those who labor among you. The Apostle Paul was intent on sharing that when we want to see leadership that's thriving, there's work being done. There's activity. There is leadership. Now, in this church in Thessalonica, it was a very complex and complicated group of people. You think about diversity for a minute. There were all kinds of people. Started out with Jews, had Gentiles, Gentiles that were Parthians and Medes and Scythians, and this whole list of people that were there. It said that uh, this church had attracted a number of um, unusually blessed women, business women in the community that were financially independent and were giving themselves to that. It was a very, very diverse group. And the Apostle Paul is saying this group has to have some leadership. So we don't know what Paul did, but his common expression was to take a church that he planted and to appoint elders in that congregation, even young elders, even if they were just new believers like uh, Timothy and Titus. And he would appoint those elders, pastors, teachers to the group. And he would give them instruction. This uh, radically different group was probably pretty hard to lead. It was racially diverse. It was culturally diverse. And it was religiously diverse. Their backgrounds were far, far apart. So how do you get a group that's diverse to come together? One way. Leadership. It's a job. (laughs) It's a task. And obviously underneath this is the valuing of that task that says it's worthwhile. God wants to do something amazing through this church, through every church. He wants to do something amazing as the church thrives and moves forward in its mission. Notice this says laboring. They were were the ones that labor among you. It mentions also over you in the Lord. But leaders are not afraid to labor, to get their hands dirty, to change a diaper, or to clean a toilet, or to take out the trash. Leaders aren't afraid to labor. Labor is part of what we're to do. This idea of labor here is the idea of to work hard, to expend yourself, to struggle, to toil, to strive. You know? Look at this uh, couple of passages here. 1 Corinthians 3, 9. The Apostle Paul says, For we are God's fellow workers. Underline that word, workers. (laughs) Ministry, leadership, is working. Notice how it, it flows. For you are God's field, you are God's building, and we're about building the field. We're about planting in the field. We're about sowing seeds and watering seeds and harvesting seeds. It's all about working in the kingdom of God. And every believer is called to be one of God's fellow workers. You're working alongside the Holy Spirit. 
Just like Vaughn was talking about today, you're letting the Holy Spirit be the prompter, the guider, the director, and the comforter in the midst of all of that. It's to be among, not as a boss over, but as God's. See, it's really taxing to bear one another's burdens. It's not the least resist, it's not the line of least resistance. When you say, I will give myself, I will expend myself, I will labor in the kingdom, it's joyful, there's passion and, and, and love in it, but at the same time, it's tasks. It is task-oriented to bear one another's burdens. This is the same word, the labor, that they would use for a person who was training in the Olympics back in this day. When you were training in the Olympics and you were working out, you were working out to get ready for an event. That's the same word that's here. The leaders who work or labor among you. We're all just working out. <laughs> we're getting stronger as we get ready and serve the Lord. Another Corinthian passage. For the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace toward me was not in vain. On the contrary, I worked harder. <laughs> in a way you'd say, what's Paul doing, bragging? He's kind of setting himself apart to say, this is a task. I worked harder than any of them, though it was not I. Listen to how he puts grace in there. It wasn't me. It was grace of God that was work in me and through me. Oh, that we would remember that at all times. <laughs> it's not us doing the work. It's God working in and through and among us. Galatians chapter 4 says, I'm afraid that I have labored over you in vain. Look at that word, labored. <laughs> He's saying no, but in the end he says, no, God was at work. Colossians 1.29, for this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. I mean, listen to that. This is a toil, a struggle. We are so comfort-oriented in our culture that it's hard for us to sense. If you invest yourself in someone else's life, if you provide leadership and encouragement, if you expend yourself so that others might flourish, it will cost you. It will cost you. There's no way that it won't. At the same time, you will be so highly rewarded. As the apostle says here, God was powerfully working within him. He'll powerfully work within you. And the reward will be so great, you'll get addicted. You'll get addicted to loving people, to sharing with people, and to watching the fruit of God expand as you labor among them. I want to spend a little longer time with this one here. This passage is from Timothy chapter 5, and, and it explains a little bit about why some pastors or elders are elevated to a level where they're supported by the body. He says, let the elders who rule well, underline that, lead well, rule well, oversee well, be considered worthy of double honor especially those who labor in preaching and teaching. What's double honor? What does that mean? Think about it for a minute. 
The double honor is not only do you get to serve, but you get to be supported in the service. In fact, that's the next phrase. He says, don't let the oxen be muzzled as they trample out. He says, a workman is worthy of his hire. Support in ministry elders, leaders, who are unusually gifted in preaching and teaching because they labor among you. Those who labor in preaching and teaching. Now, my son says, Dad, you've never worked a day in your life. He says, you love your job so much. I said, well, who wouldn't? I get to prepare messages. I get to deal with people in counseling. I get to watch lives change. It's like, yeah, this is, this is too good. This is amazing. He's right. You've heard that before. <laughs> Pick a job that you're well matched with and you'll never work a day in your life. And, and, and I'm not saying that to, to break. But in a way, God's called all of us to fit how God's built us, and to lead, and to lead well. And his plan for all is that we would grow up in a circumstance, in, a, in an environment where preaching and teaching is highly supported. That's what tithes and offerings go toward. That's why he says a workman is worthy of his hire. And um, you might be saying, well, Pastor Bruce, are you looking for a raise? No. That's not, my, that's not the point. I'm just preaching the word. Just preaching what it says today. Let those leaders, because, you know, that's what we are. We are stewards of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We are those who would oversee and preach and teach the kingdom of God. There is nothing in this planet that's more important or more vital to us than the kingdom of God and its coming in our lives. And it's his leadership now, let me hasten to talk about not just laboring among you, but how the laboring is done. Remember the apostles James and John who were arguing about who was going to be first in the kingdom? And they were positionally oriented. Work in the kingdom. When we talk about laboring in the kingdom of God, it's not about positions. Sometimes people will think that, well, can I be appointed to an eldership or something? It's not about positions. It's about serving. Look what he says. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them. You know, that's the world's way. That's the earthly kingdom's way of looking at leadership. It's positional and it's lording over. The Bible says we are the opposite of that. We're exactly the opposite of that. It will not be so among you, not so with you. Instead, whoever wants to be great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Totally reversed the world's system, the world's way. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You see, if Jesus Christ wanted to deal with positional, he never would have come and given his life. He would, have, he would have claimed executive privilege and said, let someone else do that. But he laid his life down. He did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life. Let me, before I go past this, just mention 
if you have never responded to the ransom that he's paid for you and for me, today's a great day to do that. Let your life be open. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to be the Lord, to be the Savior of your life, to be the ransomed giver for you and to serve you by saving your soul. See, leading in the kingdom, laboring in leadership is the highest calling there is. You know, if your kids come to you and say, Mom, Dad, I want to be a doctor when I grow up. Oh, that's so good. Mom and Dad, I want to be a lawyer and help with justice. Oh, there's some really good things in that. Mom and Dad, I want to... And they set their sights on something. What if they set their sights on, I want to minister to people and preach the word of God? In many ways... That's the highest of all callings. Because you're not just dealing with people's bodies that are going to be here for 60, 70 years and gone. You're dealing with their spirits, their souls, their hearts. Now, I've seen a marked decline in parents encouraging their kids to be involved in ministry, partly because it's not a highly paid deal, partly because there's a lot of headaches in it, Partly because there's a lot of congregations not thriving and and flourishing in their leadership. But, oh, brothers and sisters, what if we get back the passion for this irreplaceable focus on eternity? The things that don't last temporarily but last forever. What if we begin to refocus our attention and our kids' attention and our family's attention on the spiritual, on the eternal now, I had the privilege of having uh, a dad who was a pastor, but was also kind of a farmer. So he knew really, really well how to labor. And for the first 12, 15 years of my life, he taught me how to labor, <laughs> much to my chagrin, you know, how to buck hay, how to change irrigation pipes, how to plow the back 40. I mean, all kinds of labor, labor. And then as I started to follow him in ministry, he kept noticing things about me. And and, and a phrase got burned into my heart. This was the phrase, son, remember, now you're working with people. (laughs) Son, remember, now you're working with people. And it's like, wait a minute. People are way harder than bales of hay. People have a mind of their own. <laughs> people remember now now there's two things to that. Remember now you're working with people because bales of hay are going to be gone tomorrow. People are going to be here forever. There's an eternity to working with people, but it's also the most difficult thing you and I will ever do and I challenge you to it. Don't sit around and just drink in. Look for ways that God wants to use your life and your your family's life as leadership. He is calling all of us to lead out. All you've got to be is one step ahead of the person behind you. All you've got to be is one lesson ahead to be able to lead and to guide. Remember now, brothers and sisters, now you're working with people. People. The eternal commodity. That was what Jesus said when he said, I came not to be served, but to serve and to give my life. Listen to that. Give my life. One more time. Give my life a ransom for many. And he doesn't just say, I'm the one giving my life 
you guys skip it. He, he says, join me in this. Join me in this, because now you're working with people. People are what, what matter. Well, laboring. If congregations are going to thrive, everyone that's a leader in any kind of capacity has to be in the mode of laboring. Just out of this passage, let me just read a quick list of the things Thessalonians says leaders are to do. Okay, just listen to this for a minute. Praying, evangelizing, equipping, defending, loving, laboring, modeling, watching, warning, leading, um, feeding, teaching, exhorting, admonishing, confronting, um, and encouraging. Wow. Are you into it? Are you up for it? That's the key question. Now, as the Lord gives us lots of pictures of the church, he talks about it as a body. He talks about it as a field. We read that earlier. He talks about it as a building. One of the key phrases, he talks about it as a flock, the flock of God. You know, shepherds are to get in the flock. They lead by being in front of the flock. You know, it's, it might be a cattle drive, but it's a leading the sheep. Sheep follow from the front. <laughs> and a shepherd gets the smell of sheep on them. Okay? That's what laboring is about. Second thing comes up in this, leading. Laboring and leading. Jot that down. Notice the Apostle Paul here in Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians. This is ch chapter 2. He loves to use family issues, family concerns, family connections to teach us how to lead. What's he say here? I was like a mother to children. I was like a father. Are you catching that? Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you. See, families teach us how to lead. And families that are led well can translate into congregations that are led well. I was like a nursing mother who cares for her children. So we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our own lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and our hardship. Notice, labor, toil, hardship. We worked, another line to underline there, day and night, night and day, in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are our witnesses, and so is God, of how we, how holy and righteous and blameless we were among you who believed. For you know that we dealt with each of you as a father. So you got mothers and fathers as the picture of leadership. Deals with their own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God. See, this example of the Apostle Paul was that he was leading, leading like a dad, leading like a mom, leading like a leader would want to lead in the church. Notice it's not just over you, it's over you in the Lord. It's not just a positional thing, it has to do with who is standing in front of you. So think of this in two ways. One, when a leader is up in front, 
leading. They're standing in front of you. That's kind of the over idea. But it's also if they're just in line with you. Now, today we got six feet in each line, you know. But think of someone who's close to you in line, and they're ahead of you. They're over you, not just in an umbrella covering kind of way, but because they are first or they're before you. That's what he's talking about. That's why I say all you've got to be is one lesson ahead. When you learn something from God, turn around and give it to somebody else. Share with them. <laughs> Love them enough to open up. Here's what God's been doing. Here how God's, here's how God's been working. That's the idea of over you in the Lord, ahead of you in line, standing in front and covering over you, being that one lesson ahead. Paul says, apart from these things, the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for the churches, he took it so seriously, he said, I am leading and guiding and directing the churches, and I care. I even have anxiousness about where you're going. That's not to promote anxiousness, but rather to see the heart that is really there and what God has for me. It's the daily, he says, pressure on me. We go with one other verse here. Some of you have read this one before from Hebrews chapter 13, verses 17. Obey your leaders and submit to them for they are keeping watch over your souls. Same over that we were looking at a minute ago. Over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning. For that would be of no advantage to you. Now, thinking about this word here, it's the same word that we're finding in 1 Thessalonians. It's not the word presbyteros, where we get the word presbytery, which would be like an elder. It's not the word we often use for uh, episkopos, which is the word for overseer. Epi is over. Scopos, like scoping something out. It's not an elder, or not necessarily an overseer. And it's not poimain, that's the word for shepherd. The word here is a third one, or a fourth one that says leaders or leadership. It's the word hegemon. And this word, he says, obey these leaders among you. And, and, and it says, those who are over you in the Lord. That's the idea, leading, directing. So it's not necessarily just an elder. It's not even just an overseer. And it's not the shepherd of the whole flock, the under shepherd, like a pastor might be. But whatever arena God has called you to lead, lead it in a way that people will see the love of God. Because you're going to be held accountable for those that you are leading. In this case, it says, keeping watch over your souls. Hopefully, there's somebody in your life that you're caring enough about to watch over their souls. How are they doing? What are they doing? The um, New, New International Version says, have confidence in your leaders. The message says, be responsive to your leaders. Now, someone may say, well, that's not how we do it in business. No, it's not. The church is not a business. Well, that's not how we do it in the military. Praise God. The church is an army, but not that kind of army. 
well, that's not the way we've ever done it before. Well, it may be time to re-establish things. Do it God's way. Follow his plan. In this case, he says, uh, do it as a leader watching over someone's heart, their soul, their life. So, a leader is leading. Does that make sense? A leader's laboring, and a leader's leading. Let's go to the third one. A leader is one who gives lessons. In fact, in this case, it says, admonishing you. You catch that? What's the word admonish mean? With admonishment. <laughs> With a message. Giving lessons. Well, whose lessons are we giving? God's lessons. If it's not God's lessons, it's not eternal. It's not kingdom. Don't just give your own lessons, but admonish brothers and sisters. We ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to receive from us how you ought to walk to please God. Paul's in Thessalonians given out several different times that I've been telling you, I've been telling you, I've been telling you, this is God's plan. Paul had already taught them many, many times, over and over, how to live, what to do, where to be, and how to go about their life. Now, this is the word, admonish you. This is uh, the word we get neuthetic counseling from, the word neuthos. We get the word counsel from that. When you admonish someone, often it's in a counseling kind of, kind of way. That's why leadership, don't just look at it as leading an organization. What we're talking about here is leading someone else's life. When you admonish a person, the best possible scenario is one-to-one. When you admonish someone one-to-one, they're more likely to take it than if it's to a group. Okay? That's why he says, when you have a conflict with somebody, get down to the smallest possible uh, divisibility. Be in one-to-one, if at all possible. That's what he's saying. Admonish. A leader among you admonishes you and leads that way. Therefore, encourage one another and build one another up just as you are doing. He just keeps saying, I've given you instructions. I've given you leadership. Now follow that. Now, the Apostle James says, don't be a teacher unless you're willing to take on the responsibility because you'll get actually a higher accountability if you're a teacher. Here's how he says it. Not many of you should become teachers. You'll be judged with a greater strictness. So he warns, but he also encourages. He even encourages people. He says, if you aspire to lead in the congregation, you aspire to a good thing. Don't resist. Don't hold back. We need more leaders. God holds the leaders responsible. I mentioned earlier that those who rule well should be worthy of double honor. Now, let's move to a second area here. When, when uh, leaders flourish, congregations have some actions. Let's talk about three actions from the congregation. So we got laboring, leading, and lesson giving. That's from the leaders to the followers. Flip it around. The other way we're going to look at it is from the congregation or the individuals to the leaders. 
what do the sheep do <laughs> for the shepherds? How does that work? And uh, number one, respecting them. Here's how he says it. Esteem them very highly in love. Esteem them very highly. That's a very highly is the idea of beyond all measure. Love them so much, you hold them in high respect, high regard. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Everyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Respect and esteem them in love. Honor them. And the idea here is passionate affection. Passionate affection. Hold them very, very high. God wants us to do that because of the job, of the task, because of their work. Are you catching that? Don't regard them because of who they are or even of their position, but because of the work. You honor the work that they are doing. You respect and regard that. The word for regard here is concerning or thoughtfulness. Thoughtfulness. You think of them, you regard them because of the work God has called them to. I mentioned earlier the idea of eternally consequential work. We're talking about regarding them for the double honor of laboring and preaching and teaching. Been times in my ministry, especially getting the church established some years back, where uh, God called me to be bivocational, you know, serving a secular job as well as the pastoring and getting the, the congregation going. One year, um, lasted for several years, one of our congregation members owned a gas station downtown Olympia, and uh, he knew I needed um, health insurance. He said, you come work for me on your day off, and I'll give your family, I'll put your family on my uh, Chevron um, health insurance. So for years, I was the full-serve pump guy. You know full, You ever heard of that? It's no longer, a, it's no longer a, available, <laughs> I don't think anywhere in our city. But especially uh, elderly who used to always get full-serve, check the oil, check the tires, check, check, check the washer fluid, that's full serve, you know. And uh, you paid a few uh, dollars more for it, or a little bit more. Actually, the prices back then were a fraction of what they are today. But I was the full-serve pump guy. And, you know, I love working. Some of you know that. That's why you asked me to help you move. Because you know I need the exercise. <laughs> we are the church that moves you. <laughs> yes, yes. And as that goes... There's nothing wrong with laboring in a variety of ways. But when God freed me from that, it wasn't a begrudging thing. Instead, God found other support as the congregation grew and people caught on and, and, and giving was generous. You know? And, and that's kind of the idea here. It's the idea of because of their work, because of what they do, Laboring and preaching and teaching, they get a double 
honor. You know, that's really how I feel about this and about serving. Peter says this. He says, I exhort you and the elders among you as a fellow elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and as a partaker of the glory that is yet to be revealed. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. Exercise oversight, not under compulsion, but voluntarily, according to the will of God. Not for sordid gain, but with eagerness, not as to lord it over those in your charge, but proving yourselves to be examples to the flock. First Peter 5, 1 and following. See, those of us who are in leadership in the body of Christ... There's no garb that we wear. It has to be, you know, no certain hat we have to put on. There's no certain place we have to stand or be. No. What this is talking about is a role that we're playing, the role that we're engaged in in the lives of people, preaching the Word of God, teaching the Word of God, being an example, living it out, is really what he's talking about here. So he says, respect leaders and regard them in high esteem. How about the leaders in your life? Have they heard from you recently? And I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about other leaders above and beyond me. Have they heard from you? Because the opposite of submitting to God-placed leadership in your life, I call it rebellious, a rebellion. When you don't respond well, when you don't regard highly, when you don't esteem very highly because of their work, the result is, and the, the um, aspect is, rebellion. So to be the opposite of that, turn around, look around, elevate those that are in your life that God has placed there, and honor them, regard them, respect them, love them. It's to be a love relationship with leadership, not a, a love-hate relationship, but a love-love relationship. So you might be asking, how do we do that? How do we honor those? How do we submit to them? Let me give you some ideas. Refer to them with honor. Well, that's my discipleship leader. Oh, that's my small group leader. I love my small group leader. That's the, that's the uh, teacher for the children. Refer to them with honor. Treat them and treat them well. Sometimes I laugh because we've got couples that love to give out gifts and just treat people with flowers, with candy, with fruit juice thingies. (laughs) Yeah. Treat them. It's a Starbucks card or something like that. Defer to them. Ask them to be involved in your life. Submit to them almost like you would say, I want to hear the Lord in this. Could you share with me where you're at? Here's one. Pray for them. The job they've taken on, whatever it is, needs prayer, needs strength, needs support. Here's one. Support them. Support them. Sometimes we do that through supporting the congregation and the body. Support their extended family. Nobody's sacrifice only affects them. It affects their extended family. So pray for their family. 
Support their family and encourage them. And seek tangible ways to show love in their, in their life and in their heart. That's some hows to do it. Let me, let me go with one more because he, he mentions a how. So I would list this one as rewarding. So you've got respecting, you've got regarding, and this one is rewarding. Notice how he ends this verse, verse 13. He says, and be at peace with one another. See, the reward to a leader is there's peace in the family. The reward for a leader is there's not strife that's there. Peacemakers, what Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called children of God. You want to be called a child of God? You want to be seen as part of his bigger family? Then peacemaking. Notice every time he talks about leadership, one of the key things is not being divided, not being in strife, but having peace in the family. How do we find peace? By, by spending time with the Prince of Peace, by being a peacemaker in the midst of it. Moses, way back in the Old Testament, he says, how can I bear myself the weight and burden of you and your strife? It's not, it's not just the leading of people. It's the leading of people when there's strife that really gets to those. You know, someone said the other day that 80% in a survey, 80% of those that are in active full-time ministry are thinking about leaving their active full-time ministry because of congregational strife. I believe it, especially during the last couple of years. It has heightened and raised to a level where it is unbelievable. Elders splitting down the middle because of cultural mask and, and policies around those ideas. Division is Satan's goal. Peacemaking is God's leadership. Peacemaking is his plan. How are you going to speak about those that are in leadership over you? How are you going to find yourself in a unified way with brothers and sisters that may not agree on all political sides, but who love Jesus together? Can that be the unifying factor that says, regardless of your opinion about other dimensions, here in our culture. Here's where we stand and here's what we'll do. I rejoice greatly when brothers came to me and testified of your truth. Indeed, you are walking in the truth. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. Now this is the Apostle John late in his life. This is one of the last letters written, 3 John. And what's his, what's his heart for? Where's he finding joy? I have no greater joy than to hear that my children, he doesn't just mean physical children, he means spiritual children, are walking in the truth and unity together. They are together. <laughs> you know, so often parents are like, I just wish my kids would get along. Sometimes that's hard. Siblings don't always get along, do they? How many of you experienced a, a, a sibling relationship that was not always easy? Don't raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. No, no, no. no. Just note to self. That happens. But in the body of Christ, brothers and sisters, we are called to get along. 
Walk in the truth. And when you are in the truth, you will be unified. Let the extraneous things, let the things that are opinions be opinions. But when there is truth to believe, let's center on that. And that comes from God's word, not division, not discord, not strife. Strife and division are listed right along with, with murder in the list of sins. It's like, it's, a, it's incredible. Well, it's just gossip. No, gossip is one of those things that destroys relationships and builds division. I love it when parents can watch their kids get along and they get this sense of joy, the sense of satisfaction because of that. Peace making. Notice this is a command out of this verse. Be at peace. Be at peace among one another. <laughs> Be at peace among yourselves. Keep the peace within the church family. We'll list a couple others here. Apostle Paul says, I'm the one who brought you together as a bride for Christ. And he says, I am I have a divine jealousy for you. I want to see you be a beautiful, perfect, spotless bride. I want you to join with your groom in such a way that it's powerfully uniting and illustrating the joy that he has for us. Remember the um, Matthew passage that our goal for all of us is to hear the statement, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful in a few things. I will put you in charge over many things. See, our ultimate reward isn't just peace in the body, but it's watching what God does in the fruit of those things, of the, the fruit of the body. Come and share in your master's joy your master's happiness, in your master's love. Remember uh, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. It says, In every way, if at all possible, be at peace with all men. What's that imply? There are some things that it's not possible. But he says, if at all possible, as much as depends on you, he says, Romans chapter 12, verse 18. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Let me mention one other thing for the reward. Oh, this is so good. This is so good. It says, let the one who is taught the word, what the word? The word of God. Share all good things with who? The one who teaches. I mean, this is a good illustration of how it works. You turn around and the one that's teaching you, you share with them what God's doing in your life. You share with them how God is at work. Maybe there's growth that you've experienced. Oh, there's nothing of a teacher and leader that they don't want to hear growth in your life. Who's hearing about the growth in your life? Maybe it's an insight Maybe it's an insight that you've gained from somebody else in the body. And you need to tell them, thank you for this insight. Thank you. I read this on Facebook and it's encouraged me. It's blessed me. I'm able to follow. What about reconciliation? I just heard this week of a couple that had been separated for a long time. And God was bringing them back together. You know, there's nothing like that when you hear about healing in relationships. 
And they come back to say, we want to share all good things with the one who teaches, with the one who's a leader. Maybe it's just provision. God opened this door. I have money that I needed for support. God is so good. We just sang about that. God is so good. His goodness is chasing after me, following after me. Maybe it's an answer to prayer, dependence, an active part. Maybe, maybe God's calling on you to be active in the body of Christ like never before. What if you were to invest yourself and share all good things, your time, your energy, your love, your heart, if you've been resistant, if you've been reluctant, if you've been holding back, now's the time. Jump in with both feet. The time, the Bible says, is short. Live like it. Live like we don't have much time because in essence, we don't. Either the Lord's going to come back or we're going to be taken home or both. Okay? So live like you don't have a ton of years. Live like you're urgent, the Bible says. Be an active part. Maybe you need to become equipped. Maybe you need to ask someone, would you equip me? I love it when someone asks, uh, would you disciple me? Would you equip me for ministry? Maybe it's uh, sharing funds. Maybe funds are some of the all good things. Someone came in today and said, yeah, I was looking on the website. I want to make sure that I get this $250 to the right spot. That's encouraging. That's an all good thing. Maybe you need to make worship even more of a priority. It's been hard the last year or two to make worship a priority when we couldn't even meet for a while. So we share all good things with the one who teaches. Since God hates division, he says, let us pursue what makes for peace and strive for reconciliation. I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of your calling, with all humility and patience, bear with one another and be very careful to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Ephesians chapter 4. Be very careful to preserve the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. Unity is not something we create. Unity is something He created. What do we do? We maintain it. He says be very careful to preserve or maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. I'll finish off here just by flashing through these real quick here. These are from Acts chapter 20. Leaders are God-gifted. Jot that down real quick. Leaders are God-gifted. We have gifts and abilities that come from the Lord. Leaders are God-given, so they're God-gifted, and they're God-given. Ephesians chapter 4 says he's given to the body, pastors and teachers and prophets and leaders. The gifts that are in the body for leadership are God's gifts. They're God-gifted and God-given. They're also God-qualified. In 1 Timothy chapter 3 and Titus chapter 1, he says, here are the qualifications and characteristics for each leader. Something every person can want to aspire to, spiritual qualifications for biblical leaders. And lastly, 
Leaders are God accountable. God gifted, God given. We are in, in God's way, God qualified, and we're God accountable. See, we're under shepherds. We're under shepherds to the major shepherd, the leader and, and guardian of our souls. So how about you? How about me? When you think about leadership in the church family, is God calling you to a place of leadership? Is he asking you to be one who is lesson giving? Is he calling you to be leading? Is he calling you to be loving in that way? Is he calling you to be the kind of follower that he describes here? that is respecting and respectful of the leaders that are over you, that is regarding them in high esteem and love, the one that is taking those and, and, and pouring those back in a rewarding way with peace. Let's stand and pray together. Gracious Father, thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of being in your kingdom, being in your family. Lord, whatever role you're calling us to play, whether it's leading or following, whether it's being the right kind of leader, the right kind of follower, or both, would you show us new avenues to get involved and apply that today? Father, thank you for this passage of Scripture where we're encouraged in each of those aspects. We look to you, Father, for application every day this week. We tell you again, Lord, that we love you, we honor you, in Jesus' name, amen, amen. God bless you. Have a great day.